Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Um, today we're going to pick up on Hegel uh, for this episode. Uh, Hegel is one of the philosophers that is following off the footsteps of Kant, but also moving philosophy in a little bit different direction. Um, Hegel would definitely fall under idealist. Uh, he believes um, sort of the world of ideas uh, is, is what composes everything, but he has a little bit different view of that, and we'll get into that a little later on in the podcast. Um, but one of the things I want to kind of talk about is a little bit of the environment of what's going on as Hegel's coming up, as he's writing these things. Um, this is the beginning of the 1800s uh, that he writes, uh, Phenomenology of Spirit. Um, and this is, if you remember the lectures on Romanticism. This is also the time of Romanticism. So this is the time of people sort of feeling uh, discouraged by the Enlightenment, kind of being, feeling like they're alienated, feeling like they're uh, kind of on their own in the universe, uh, feeling like they don't belong. Um, now, if this sounds familiar with the Romantics, it also, it also should sound familiar with the last lecture that we did uh, for this podcast, you know, the lecture on modernism and the wasteland. So you can see that this idea of alienation isn't just something that happens in the 20th century. It's, it's something that keeps reoccurring. And, and the pendulum moves back and forth between moving towards a uh, enlightenment ideals, scientific ideals, and then moving away from them. And if you remember, the Romantics um, wanted to embrace more of the world of feeling, more of the world of inspiration, more of the world of insight. And this is sort of seen as a way to cure what's going on with the enlightenment, where everything is rational and scientific and um, doesn't seem to leave much room for uh, human uh, nature. doesn't seem to leave much room for us. It, it sort of seems like it's moving us towards being uh, automated uh, machines in nature, complicated machines, but you know, n no more than just a simple machine. So you have this sense from uh, enlightenment and the rejection of it with the Romantics and with the Transcendentalists uh, that we talked about a little bit in literature with uh, Emerson and Thoreau with this idea of, you know, inspiration from nature, of, of having that as a, as a way of, of reconnecting to the world, getting back our original connection with things. And Hegel sees all of this and kind of goes away from that a little bit. He does see the need for us to kind of be reconnected into the bigger picture, but he sees that there's really two ways that people can go. And one of the ways is conceptual knowing, and the other way is through intuition and feeling. And intuition and feeling was kind of the direction of the transcendentalists, it was the direction of the romantics, and it was one of the things that Hegel criticizes because he says while this you know brings you inspiration it keeps you at the surface it never allows you to dive deeply into anything you sort of take this surface inspiration and you run with it you know this is kind of one of the criticisms of that you'll hear again coming out in against religion coming out against in new age spiritualism sort of this idea that 
you know, we can be inspired and somehow know it all and and have all of the answers that way instead of doing the work. And Hegel is very much someone that says, no, if we really want to reconnect to everything, we have to engage in it. We have to engage in the process. And this is a long process, and it's a detailed process. And Hegel's somebody that I will be going into in a lot more depth in future seasons and in future podcasts, but I don't want to bury you with it too much yet, even though one of the things that Hegel in his uh, preface to uh, Phenomenology of the Spirit warns against is using philosophy to edify people, to kind of give them simple truths that they can hold on to and and make themselves uh, content and, and live better. He really does feel that you need to dive into uh, the heart of the matter. But at this stage in the course, I feel if we did that, uh, one, it would take a lot of episodes, And two, I would probably lose a lot of the audience because we're still at the stage where we're kind of seeing how all of this stuff fits together. Now, if you notice, I drew parallels to the Romantics. And this is one of the things that I'm going to keep doing and I've done in the past is as much as possible, I want to show you that these are not, literature and philosophy are not fields that are completely in isolation from each other. You know, they're dealing with the real world. They're borrowing ideas from each other. They're arguing against each other. So there are connections. And when we get into some of the 20th century philosophers, you're also going to find that some of the 20th century philosophers are also known as literary writers. Uh, Jean-Paul Sartre is, you know, the writer of Being in Nothingness, which is a huge book of philosophy. He also has some shorter works of philosophy. Existentialism is a humanism is one of them. But Sartre also wrote plays and novels and things like that. Um, Alexander, or I'm sorry, uh, Camus uh, wrote uh, novels, but they were based on philosophy. So he's kind of straddling those two fields. Uh, the Stranger, the myth, uh, myth of Sisyphus. So this idea that literature and philosophy are different fields and you should study one over here and one over there is not really realistic because these people did have influences on each other. They did play off of each other. And Hegel's system that he tries to come up with in Phenomenology of the Spirit is actually something that wants to kind of explain everything. One of the things that he's trying to do is he wants to sort of create the science of philosophy. Now in Hegel's time, a lot of things were called philosophy or were called sciences that we don't call sciences anymore. But if you think about them, they are sciences. You know, the social sciences uh, are, are, you know, something that's Uh, The hard scientists like physicists and chemists don't particularly think are real sciences. Um, You know, economics, people don't really think of that as a science. But there's a lot of calculation, there's a lot of theory uh, that go behind all of these things. Uh, and, And so they are sciences, and they do, in the modern world, have to be able to show some provable results. You know, nobody's going to buy into any of these fields if they can't at least show some measure of explaining things and some measure of success uh, in predicting things, which is kind of the 
the main drive under every science is it, it wants to be able to not only explain the world the way it is, explain whatever it is it's trying to explain, but also make predictions but al and also make you know ways where this information is useful. So one of the things that Hegel is doing with this and with his other works is he's trying to complete he's trying to create this complete scientific system of philosophy and he goes back to you know he wants to have something that starts from the simplest ideas and eventually goes on to be able to explain everything in the universe and tie it all together and one of the things that his his idea about the philosophy of the phenomenology of spirit, the or it's also known as the phenomenology of the mind, is that this is sort of nature working everything towards truth. Uh, we start with simpler, more basic ideas, and then everything moves closer and closer to truth. And one of the things that he doesn't believe you can do is skip steps. So in his phenomena, uh, uh, phenomenology of the spirit, it definitely starts with very basic things, and it's a huge book and goes through a lot. Um, he doesn't think you can look at a philosophy from the past and say, oh, well, another philosopher came and refuted it, so we can just forget about the first one. You know, Aristotle refuted a lot of the ideas of Plato, therefore we don't need to read Plato anymore. Uh, philosophers after Aristotle have come along and refuted the ideas of Aristotle, therefore we can just forget about Aristotle. You know, Hegel is very much against this idea. He he thinks if that if you want to see the whole truth, if you want if if things evolve to where we have the whole truth, that you can't skip steps. You have to engage in the process. And um the process that he comes up with is a dialectic. Now this dialectic becomes influential to a lot of later philosophers, Marx being one of them, uh, but the dialectic is not exactly the same dialectic that Plato has. In Plato, the dialectic is more or less a dialogue. You have two people with different sides of the, of the argument. They trade ideas back and forth until you get to what is the answer. So that is similar to what... Um, to what Hegel is doing, but what Hegel's doing is, is a lot more codified than this. And some of you may have heard of these parts of the, of the dialectic um, in, in courses or just, you know, in, in things you may have read. Uh, you start out with a, what he calls the thesis. Um, the thesis is an idea, whatever the idea is. It could be a political idea, it could be a scientific idea, it could be a social idea, whatever idea it is. You, you have the thesis. But whenever you have an idea, immediately there pops up uh, the counter to that idea, the, the opposite, what he calls the antithesis. So you have the thesis and the antithesis, and these two kind of battle it out. Um, and what ends up happening is through these two battling it out, uh, they move to a higher level of understanding. So, you know, they, they complete each other in a lot of ways. So you take the synthesis and the antithesis and you have them battle it out. And then, or I'm sorry, the thesis and the antithesis. And then you end up with the synthesis. And the synthesis is not the end-all answer. Uh, 
You know, this isn't what Hegel's saying, that he came up with the end-all answer. He believes we're heading to it, but we're not there. Even, you know, even as much in his time, he thought it was pretty close, but um, he knew that it would keep evolving anyway. So now you have the synthesis, which is sort of the best parts of the thesis and the antithesis put together into a higher idea. Well, now the, the synthesis becomes a thesis, and there will be another idea that will come along that will challenge that. So now you, the, the synthesis becomes the thesis, and now you have an antithesis to that, which moves you to a synthesis that's even higher up the chain. And this is a process that keeps repeating. This is a process that keeps recurring. And what he talks about, and this is why you can't skip steps, is that if you skip steps, you miss some of the overall picture. Because even the, you know, the ideas that were supposedly refuted, the earlier thesis, um, had parts of the truth. And so if you just eliminate that altogether, what you're doing is eliminating parts of the truth, and so you don't have the whole truth. So this is a system that is very in-depth. It, it requires a lot of uh, attention to detail. Uh, his book is extremely long, um, but it is something that is extremely uh, influential later on, much the same way Kant was very influential. Hegel is also very influential. Uh, and as I said, Marx is one of the ones he's influential on. Uh, Nietzsche, uh, you know, there's just... Lots and lots of philosophers who have kind of built off of the ideas or rejected the ideas of Hegel. And again, this is kind of where we're going with this whole, you know, sort of history of philosophy. And that's why I'm trying not to skip in any of the major steps, although being an introductory seasons, um, I do have to skip somewhat because otherwise we'd be bogged down in Plato still and we wouldn't have even have gotten to Aristotle yet. But as the seasons go on, we will get more in-depth in each of these uh, movements, each of these time periods, and then eventually in each of these philosophers in particular. And I'm going to keep trying to tie this back to um, literature, because again, as I said earlier in this episode, and as I've said other times in other podcasts, these are not completely separate fields. One of the things that i you know, noticed and, and really saw as I was studying in college was that, you know, we would talk about something in my literature class and then that would, I would realize, well, this comes from this philosopher and this philosopher and then we'd talk about something in my philosophy class and then I'd realize, oh, this philosopher is also, you know, knowing about these ideas of these literary writers so to, to think of these things as completely separate fields is, is to not see them fully. So in this way, I guess I'm a bit of a uh, follower of Hegel in that I think you really have to engage all of the parts if you want to get to know what's going on. And all of the parts mean you also have to look at history. You also have to look at economics. You also have to look at, you know, theology. You also have to look at ethics. You have to look at, you know, lots and lots of different factors. And so what I'm giving you in these lectures, in these podcasts, is not all of the information. Uh, if, you, if you really want to kind of 
break into the the world of philosophy and literature and know these things, you need to also be looking at other sources. You need to be reading some of the original works. You need to be reading and listening or listening to, you know, other podcasters who are doing analysis or reading books that have, you know, another analysis. Because as I'm giving you these things, I don't have the delusion that I'm explaining the entire universe to you. I'm giving you another part. I'm giving you other parts. And if you want a more complete picture, you've got to put it with the things you've already learned and seen in your life and then find other sources as well. You know, all of my knowledge did not come from my college classes. Yes, I got a great deal of knowledge out of my college classes, but I also did a lot of reading outside of those classes. I wrote papers that had sources that were from outside of the class. I've done you know, observation in the real world. I've, I've lived in the real world. I've worked in the real world. So I have lots of different sources for how I have my information. They didn't all come from one place. And yours shouldn't all come from one place either. You know, so use my uh, podcasts as a jumping off point, as a, as a place for you to kind of open the door and explore things uh, more thoroughly. There are lots of great resources online. Um, I always told my students about YouTube. Uh, you know, everybody knows about YouTube, but most people just use it for funny videos or for music or things like that. Um, YouTube has a wealth of uh, educational, uh, historical, you know, uh, political. All, all of this is available. There's a lot of colleges that put entire, you know, uh, semesters worth of lectures from different professors in different fields on YouTube. And so, you know, as you're studying these things, take what I, what I give you here, find what other things you can find and, and kind of add them together and kind of start to become, uh, like Hegel yourself, where you're trying to look at all of the pieces of the picture instead of just a superficial glazing over. Okay, I'm going to break off for this episode. Uh, my next episode will go back to the world of literature, and I'll be talking about The Sound and the Fury by William Faulkner. Uh, and this is a novel that I've taught many, many times. Uh, so that might end up being a little bit longer podcast than some of the other ones. Uh, the, the Sound and the Fury is definitely a difficult read, but once you understand what's going on, it's actually one of the most rewarding books you can read as well. So next time we will be talking about The Sound and the Fury, uh, the podcast after that when we move back to philosophy. I will be talking about Marx and how Marx's ideas kind of tie back to Hegel, and we'll move forward from there. All right. I hope all of you are doing well and having a good night.